when we come today looking at this passage, I, I just want us to just think for a few moments on the fact that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. I, I was looking at this passage and thinking uh, with the direction of this message and oftentimes for an opening, uh, opening illustration or opening story, I, I have to wait until the message is prepared first. That becomes one of the last things that, that I do. In my preparation of the message. And I found this in 2017's um, study of, of Malachi in the January Bible study. It doesn't read exactly like this. But this is where I got the story line from anyway. In that Bible study it, it shares a similar story. Now some things have changed. But in this story uh, a man let's just say his name's Jesse. I just threw out a name, Jesse. Jesse had lost his job due to frequently arriving late. He was very poor. He had a very poor attitude at work. And he had a very lack of focus while he was there. Now, his employer, trying to save his job, uh, put together a plan for improvement for this particular employer, employee. So... He, after going through this plan, Jesse done well for about two weeks. Then he regressed back to his old self. And after this, his employer called him in with no other choice but to give him a pink slip. Tell him, look, we can't use you. Well, Jesse immediately began to complain that if his boss had given clear instructions or if his co-workers hadn't had it in for him or if the tasks he had been given hadn't have been too difficult and he went on and on do you get the picture if someone else if someone else uh, he seemed to be very good at protesting and giving excuses because this was the fourth straight job he had lost but Jesse always blamed someone else for his problems at work until he realized something has to change. And he took advantage of an opportunity that his previous employer had given him to go to counseling. And after he went to counseling, the result of that was that he learned to view the job from the perspective of the company. I wonder how many of us need that kind of counseling. How often do we complain about our jobs? And how less of the complaining we would do if we viewed our jobs from the perspective of the company. Well, Jesse, he got better. As a matter of fact, he took assessment tests that enabled him to look at the kind of work that he enjoyed. And soon he'd be able to celebrate over five years at the same company. Now, this may not sound like much to you, but it was big for this person. What he learned, he learned, however, what we find in Scripture is the Israelites never did learn this. They blamed someone else. They blamed God for everything that was going wrong in their lives. 
They blamed God. They were a people who claimed to be righteous, but they were the ones who were offering God blemished sacrifices. They blamed God, but it was them who failed to give a tithe. They blamed God, but it was them who oppressed their countrymen. They blamed God, but it was them who were marrying pagans. They blamed God, but it was them who were throwing away their wives just for someone outside of their country. And because they kept doing these things, they suffered. But they were bringing the suffering on to themselves. How often do we really see the truth? Some of the things we're experiencing is by our own doing. Well, Israel just never did learn from this. And here, Malachi is wanting to help us to learn that we can't live a complacent life and expect the power of God to be prevalent in our life. He's, Malachi is wanting Israel to understand that if they don't repent, if they don't seek the Lord, then the power of God will not be a part of them. Last week, we, when we look in this passage, we look here in verse 17, beginning in verse 17 in chapter 2. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and, his, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and, and, pu- and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. And against those who turn away the alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, this is God's word to God's people. God, as we do come before you today, we pray that you will help us this day, that God, you would pour your spirit upon us And God, that you would open our hearts and minds, you open our eyes and our ears, and God, let us hear what thus saith the Lord. And God, we pray that whatever said and done in this place would bring glory to you and would magnify your son. And God, if there's any with us who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, help them this day, God, to call upon you. For God, we know that you are faithful and just, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God, we're looking to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, last week, we closed out the text and, uh, in verses 10 through 17. But, 
But I, I began to see this week as I was looking through this passage how verse 17 really relates to verses 1 through 6 in, in chapter 3. Because the questions asked or the accusations made in, verses, in verse 17, we see the reply to those in verses 1 through 6. So last week we closed out the message in verse 17 where Malachi said, said that Israel had wearied the Lord with your words. He was sharing this with Israel. The Lord had grown tired of the people's continued sin. And we have to ask ourselves, and you may wonder, does the Lord really grow tired? Does the Lord really, does he really have this kind of emotion? I want to tell you, he's, if he's pleased with us, he can grow tired with us also. And here while when we look at this, the Lord had grown tired of, the, of their continued sin and their total disregard for his word and his commandments. And when, he, when the people were confronted by Malachi, they began to question the charge that Malachi had against them. And we see this where he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And their question is, well, yet, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? And then we see the questions that are asked. You know what they had done? They, they had said that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. They had said that the Lord delights in the fact that people were calling evil good. And then they asked the question, where is the God of justice? These were accusations that they were putting. God, they had wearied the Lord and here's their excuse. God's the blame for them. In their eyes, in their minds, and in their declaration. You know, I, I said this last week that it is a great mistake to think that God will not judge sin. It's also a mistake to think that God's going to reward wickedness. When the wicked appear to prosper, it's, an, it's important for us to keep in mind that God sees and he knows all. And, and that he is, he is a God of justice. God's word makes it perfectly clear that the judgment is coming. And it's only a matter of time before the wicked will meet their fate. We shared last week in Revelation 22 and 12. It says, then behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. We have to understand that, that God sees all, he knows all, and sin will not go unpunished. Amen. In response to Israel, through the prophet Malachi, God declares that his judgment is coming. And we see this in these next verses as we begin to see the introduction of the judge. When we look here in, in verse 1, it seems that the patience of Israel has really grown thin. And several prophets throughout the history of Israel have prophesied that the Messiah would come. Isaiah says in 9, 6 through 7, that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from time forward even forevermore. Not only did, I, did, did Isaiah prophesy of his coming, but also Micah prophesied in 5 and 2 where it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth 
to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. He's letting us know that the Messiah is coming. But it seems the people had heard this and they, but, and they had seemed to be forgotten this and, and, and they needed to be reminded again. So Jesus declares here in verse 1 that he is coming. But he declares that... He declares here that he's sending a messenger. Look there. Behold, I send my messenger. I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Jesus is speaking here. He's saying my messenger is going to go before me. He's speaking of John the Baptist here. He said, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come upon, come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant to whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is it they were seeking? They were seeking the Messiah. And here we see that, that Jesus declares through, through the prophet Malachi here that he is coming. Those way is going to be prepared. Sending the messenger ahead before the king was, was to announce the coming of, of the king, and this was a common practice in this day. The messengers would go before the king to make sure that the roads were clear and that the travel would be smooth. It also gave people time to get their get things in order prior to the king coming. And here in this day, Israel is being reminded of the, of the one that Isaiah had prophesied about. In Isaiah 40 and 3, he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted. And what we find is that this one that Isaiah is prophesying of is in fact John the Baptist. And he was the one who prepared the way for the Lord. We know that when we read John chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. The Bible says this. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed that he did not, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, who are you that you may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And John said this. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now there were those who were, who were sent where from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered and said, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to, to loose. In these, thi- these things were done near Bethlehem. Bethabara, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John said, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. We all know if we just studied in, in the Gospels that John the Baptist was older than Jesus, and he's here declaring that Jesus was before him. He's Letting us know that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the messenger who come before Jesus to declare, uh, to prepare the way for him to come. Man, what an act of the grace of God. 
Do we see the act of grace here? God's grace was extended to Israel. He was giving Israel plenty of time to turn back to God. They had turned away from God. They, they were accusing God of all the trouble that was going on in their lives. And here we see that the prophet Malachi, and, the, and you know, it's, it's believed by many. There were 400 years between Malachi and the gospel writing that, that, that God was just silent after Malachi delivered his prophecy. There are many who believe this. But I want you to know, even before Malachi, about 400 years, Isaiah made the prophet, the, the prophecy. So we, what we know through, through time and through history is that from Isaiah's prophecy to Jesus' birth, there was about 800 years. What grace of God that he would declare to Israel that, a, that someone would come and make the way straight. They would proclaim for the king that was coming behind him. He's given them all this time to get things right with God. To make the to clean up their homes to where whenever the king come, everything would be in order with them. That's what he was doing. And here it seems almost halfway through that time. He does it again. He shares again that here there's one coming. And after him is going to be the Messiah. Now the one coming is going to prepare the way to get things right. Oh, what an act of grace. God has still extended this grace to you and I. Every time the Bible is taught, every time a sermon is preached, every time a testimony is given, every time the gospel is shared, those who are lost, those who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are given another chance to get their affairs in order before the King of kings and Lord of lords come back to this earth. Amen. He is coming. Amen. Judgment is coming. And he's being gracious to us. Here, if you're, if you're here today, you don't know the Lord is your Savior. I want you to know he's being gracious to you. He's giving you another opportunity to get to know him before he comes. The coming of our Lord is going to be a sudden, a sudden thing, and it's going to be very unexpected. I want you to know, without a doubt, there is nothing that has to take place before that would prevent him from coming in the next three seconds. In other words, before you leave this place, even before you take your next breath, he could come if he chooses to. You know what wants stopping him? It's his love for you, his grace and his mercy that he's extending to you. He wants you to come to know him. He don't want you to spend any eternity in hell. He wants you to spend eternity in, with him in glory. Amen. Yes. He, when he comes, what I do know is there will be true worship in his temple. <laughs> There'll be no more half-hearted, complacent worship. It will not exist. He's coming and he's going to receive those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can't worship him. But he wants you to worship him. He wants you to praise him. He wants you to lift him up. Here's the introduction to the judge. The judge is saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity because I'm going to let you know my messenger is going to come. And my messenger is going to make the way straight. And I'm coming suddenly, out of nowhere. You know, Jesus coming as the Messiah caught Israel unprepared. They thought someone in royalty was going to come. They never really studied the scriptures enough to see that he was going to come. 
to fulfill all scripture. He was going to be the example to us. And the very one that was prophesied that would bruise the head of the serpent. He came and they didn't know him. Yes, the introduction of the judge has been given. But we see in this passage also there's an intentional judgment. Malachi asks two strong questions. Who can endure the day of his coming? We see that there in verse 2. And who can stand when he appears? Malachi declares that he is coming like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Here what we see is that Messiah's intentional judgment. There would be a purifying and a cleansing of those who would receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Truth is, no one is able to clean up themselves. We can try all we want with sheer determination and and willpower, but all we will do is fail. The only way we can be purified and cleansed is through Jesus Christ. It's through what he does to us through his precious blood. Not only will he purify his people, but he will also purify the priest. There in chapter 2, we remember as we preach from, from verses 1 through verse 9 that he dealt with the priest. He confronted the priest, the leaders within the church in order for the priest to present an, an acceptable sacrifice. They had to present themselves acceptable before God. Saved and unsaved. The only way we're going to be able to endure the day of the Lord's coming, the only way we're going to be able to stand when we, is that we must be purified. We must be cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The only, and only his blood has the power to cleanse cold, dark hearts and make them white as snow. No one is exempt from needing his cleansing. We're all sinners standing in the need of God's grace. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 10 that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And if you're here today and you, and you have not been cleansed by the launderer's soap, if you've not been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you're standing in need of a cleansing today. And Jesus will provide that for you. Amen. The songwriter said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It don't, it don't matter where you go looking to be cleansed, you won't find it anywhere except in the blood of Jesus. But not only is he coming to purify and cleanse, but he's coming to execute judgment. There in verse 5, He says, I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Israel asked the question, where is God's judgment? And Verse 5 answers the question. Well, where is God's justice? And verse 5 gives the answer. 
When Christ comes to judge the world, he will execute a true justice. Every sin and sinner will be held accountable. We will bring, he will bring judgment against every kind of weakness and those who practice such wickedness. He will execute judgment upon sorcerers, adulterers, liars, perjurers, those who cheat and steal, those who mistreat widows and orphans and foreigners, those who do not fear the Lord. Judgment will be executed upon them. We can know without a doubt sin will not go unpunished. Jesus died for our sins so that we would not have to pay the penalty of our sins. I know often it looks from outside looking in that those who don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Savior seem to have it a little better in this life. I know from outside looking in, it seems that way, but I want you to know that it's temporary. It's temporary. Because here on earth, those of us who know the Lord as Savior will face, will answer for our sins, but we'll be chastised for our sins. Now, we may be escaped the penalty, but we haven't escaped the chastisement. Think, think that you can live any kind of way you want as a believer of Jesus Christ and see that Jesus won't bring chastisement upon us. And the truth of the matter is, if we're not broken, (laughs) if we're going to make excuses over our sin, if it doesn't break us that we've broken the heart of God, we're not only face chastisement of sin, we're going to face the penalty of sin because we've never been saved. That's temporary, and I'd much rather... See, when you're outside looking in, you don't get the whole picture. When you are an unbeliever and you're looking in, you don't understand why it is that we're joyous. You don't understand why it is that songs of Zion, they just move us to tears. You don't know why it is that we, we just, we're broken over the fact that, that we've broken God's heart. You don't understand why it is that the things that everyone seems to be doing and says is okay, that we're looking at it and saying, no, we can't do it. You don't have a clear understanding of that when you're outside looking in. But when you get on our side, you begin to see a lot clearer. You see, the thing is, we have been where you're at. (laughs) We've been the ones who are outside looking in. And what we found out is it's a lot different when you get inside. You know, we can look outside people's relationships and we can think all we want about their relationships. We, we can look and think that because someone responds in a certain way to another that, that they got it rough at home. But until we get in the house, we don't know how it is. It can look outside that someone has the perfect marriage. When you're outside looking in, it may look that way that they're always holding hands. They're always complimenting one another. They're always doing and saying things that, that lift the other up in public. But when you get in the home, you don't know how how one's a beating up the other. We don't know when you're outside looking in. It's a different perspective than when you get inside. And it's the same way with Christianity. When you're outside and you're looking in, you've got a different perspective than what we got. Come inside and gain our perspective. Come and know the joy and the peace and the love and the compassion and the generosity that loving the Lord provides for you. (coughs) 
Here's the problem. That you may be looking at us and thinking, well, they, they have it rough. You know, the Bible teaches us that if we're going to reign with Christ, we've got to suffer with Christ. And I'd much rather suffer on this side of life <laughs> than to suffer for all eternity. See, what we recognize is that it's okay to be chastised here on earth. Because when we're chastised for his sake, he's glorified. But one day he's going to glorify us. One day he's going to change us to where we'll never know pain. We'll never know sickness. We'll never know death. We'll never know sadness. He'll wipe all the tear away. But you, if you stand before him not knowing Jesus is your savior, you're going to experience the penalty of your sins. And you will know pain. You will know sickness. You will know death. You will know all the suffering that we're escaping. And that Jesus died so that you could escape. <laughs> I would encourage you come inside. See the family from the inside. It's easy to stand outside and say, well, if that one's going to make it to heaven, I'm going to make it too. I did the same thing when I was outside the family. But come become part of the family. <laughs> and you'll see how we lift each other up in prayer. We'll see how that we, we, we realize that, the, that the, the weakest among us, that we're only as strong as they are. <laughs> that we're only as strong as our weakest link. And we'll grab each other and we'll connect with one another and we'll lift each other in prayer. And we'll praise one another and we'll encourage one another and we'll go forward with one another. That's what being inside the family is. Well, why is it that you complain? Don't you complain about your brother and sister from time to time? Yeah, you'll even complain about your mom and daddy from time to time. Nobody else better not do it. Say amen. amen. <laughs> yeah, I, I can complain about my daddy, but you better not complain to me about my daddy. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my sister and I, we're nothing alike. But I don't need you telling me her faults. You better tell them to God or someone else. Don't come to me telling them. And you know, we should be that way in the house of God too. (laughs) We don't go out into the world and proclaim the mess that we make. We proclaim the mess that we make to God and let God fix us. See, when you're outside the family, you don't understand that process. Come, come, come inside this family and let God bless you here I want, I want you to understand as we're getting ready to close out this here in verse 6 listen to what Jesus says this is this should be encouraging but it's also a warning it's both when we look in verse 6 he says for I am the Lord I do not change Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You know what? He's telling Israel at that moment, you deserve hell right now. But because I haven't changed. In other words, he's saying, because I'm faithful. Aren't you glad he's faithful? I'm so glad he is faithful. You know, he left us the promise that he doesn't change. And we, we, we have a Savior who is faithful. He is faithful in every covenant that he's made with his people. 
His faithfulness is not dependent upon our faithfulness. Man, I don't know. Someone should have shouted right then. Because how faithful have you been to God? Compared to how faithful he's been to us. I'm telling you, I'm so glad he's faithful despite me. And you, you know, you got to be in the family to understand that. <laughs> come, come be in this family. Listen, unsaved, you may be disappointed in other Christians. You may be thinking that you cannot live the Christian life. You may be thinking that you will fail him. I want to assure you, you're right. But when we know Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and he leads and he guides us, he helps us, he gives us strength when we're weak. But he also convicts us and his presence is before us. He has paid for our sins and when we do sin, we have an advocate and it is our Savior with the Father. He's pleading on our behalf. And what this doesn't do, contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't give us a license to sin. What it does is gives us cause to worship him. It gives us cause to praise him, to lift him up, to to give him all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul and strength. Because we've escaped judgment. Folks, I want to tell you, judgment is coming. So my question, if you're here and you're unsaved, as judgment is coming, and I believe it's coming soon, are you going to make excuses for yourself? Are you going to blame God and others? Or are you going to allow him to purge and cleanse you up? Thank you for listening to the Reedy Branch Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you to love the gospel, live the gospel, and share the gospel. May God richly bless you this day.